Hey everyone, welcome to 11 Questions, where each week we meet a new person and get to know them. I'm your host Amantiwana, and today we are meeting a best-selling American author, Laurie Spielman. Let's get to know her with 11 Questions. Hi Laurie, welcome to 11 Questions. Thank you, Jainan. I'm excited to be here. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Mm, I am definitely a morning person, especially the older I get. So I love my mornings where I can get up. We usually get up actually when it's still dark outside, like 5.30 or 6, and have coffee. And that's when I do a lot of my social media. I'll reply to emails and check Facebook and that. And I just, I love easing into my day. After, especially after so many years of working where you, where I had to get up and quickly, you know, rush, rush, rush. So yes. I yeah. I say. like the easing in part, but 530 is where I'm like, how, how does anyone do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And by like, by nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, I'm like ready to go to sleep. Um, <laughs> I find it kind of hard to believe myself. I didn't used to, uh, I used to like drag myself out of bed, but I guess I just, just because I enjoy the time so much and it helps that my husband gets up at the same time. So yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I admit. And what's a perfect weekend for you? Weather in the seventies. I live in Michigan. So weather is a big deal here as opposed to, are you in California? Yeah. 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 So here we don't take nice days for granted. So a, a nice, perfect day, a perfect weekend would be going for a nice walk, going over to Lake Michigan, where we have a sailboat, and maybe taking our dog and going on a nice sail and having drinks afterwards, watching the sunset over Lake Michigan and going to a nice dinner, something like listening to live music. We love live music. That and sounds really nice. Around, family around, always fun. What's your favorite place in the world? Oh my gosh. I used to say Paris was my favorite place. I absolutely love Paris, but my most recent book is set in Italy. And I, when I went to Italy, I really fell in love with it. And I, right now, that's the place that calls to me. That's the place I want to go back to. Um, I loved everything about it. I loved the food and the people and the local wine and the the architecture and the old, just the feeling of, you know, the old mixing with the new. And yeah, I would have to say, I would have to say Italy. Did you always want to be a writer? You know, that's a really great question. I loved, I've always loved writing. I remember, you know, in elementary and and junior high and high school, just that was my favorite thing when, when we would be assigned a writing task, not necessarily a term paper, but like a creative writing task. But my family was very working class. And so I was the first one in my family to go off to college. And my mom said, well, would you, you know, do you want to be a teacher or a nurse? That was like my, those were kind of the choices. Although, of course, I could have done anything. And I ended up becoming a speech pathologist. But writing was never, ever something that I thought would happen to me as to be a professional writer, especially an author. So that wasn't until I was uh, about 40 years old that I started writing and taking writing classes and really getting into it. Your story reminds me of how I also got the option of like, are you going to be a doctor or engineer? 
Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Yours were a little <laughs> loftier than mine, though. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I think that was just the only two options in my generation when we were applying for colleges. Like, if you like biology, you go for doctors, which I didn't. So I was like, okay, that leaves engineering for me. That's funny. Did you become an engineer? Yes, I did. Well, that's great. I mean, those can't go wrong with those if, if you if you enjoy them. So yeah. And coming back to your writing, do you follow a routine? Uh not like I should. I like to um, start writing right after lunch, write for a couple hours, actually write even a couple hours before lunch, write a couple more. When I'm really into something, that's what I, I do. And I do try to stick to a routine, which is hard because especially after I retired uh, from my day job, my friends would say, Hey, do you want to go to lunch? Do you, you know, and I'm thinking, sure, <laughs> that's really fun. <laughs> I was never able to do that. So it took me a while to learn to be disciplined and to say no, even though I'm not, I don't have a job where someone is, you know, I'm not accountable to students in the classroom or anything like that, but it's still, I try to try to keep a boundary on, on my writing time. Yeah. I have realized that it's very hard to follow a routine when nobody is enforcing it for you. Exactly. Exactly. That's why a lot of people who are self-employed or freelancers, especially, they, they always complain about this, that, you know, it sounds easy, but we have to be our own bosses, which is yeah. not fun at all. It's not. And it's, it's, it has taught me a lot, though, about being disciplined and being able to say no to people. It's a little uncomfortable because I'm a people, people pleaser, <laughs> but I, I have to treat it like a job. That's what I try to do. And when you work, do you work in like a messy space or are you an organized person? I work right here. We're actually sitting at my desk. I've got a big lap. You're on my laptop. I've got a desktop over here. There's a lot of windows. There's windows all around here that look out on this little fountain. It's kind of peaceful. Although I have to say, this is in the lower level of my house. A lot of times I'll take this little laptop and go upstairs and and write just in the kitchen at the kitchen counter I always write light a candle and yeah try to get myself into that space I like that you have like a dedicated routine for that your space is very pretty oh thanks (laughs) is there something that you find challenging about writing process oh my gosh you find the whole thing challenging and intimidating um (laughs) First of all, you know, when I'm right, when I first started writing, I just, I thought, well, my mom will read this or my sister. And when it actually got published, you know, it's very intimidating to think, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, people really want to read something that I've written. And, and then even more intimidating trying to write the next one, because then, you know, there are people who liked the book and might pick up the second book. And I want to please my agent. I want to please my editor and the sales team and every, you know, all my readers. And I think it's just, I, I just talked to my agent the other day on the phone and she said, she said, you really put too many, too much pressure on yourself. Like I, I need to just try to find the joy in writing and, and write for myself again. And that's that's challenging when I know that other people might look at it. <laughs> I can imagine. I sometimes think about writing, but then I'm like, what if somebody finds it? <laughs> what I've written? <laughs> you should. Uh, you should consider writing. It, 
if you have that inkling, it's here I, I am. I have, talking. but I haven't had any training or even put enough time into it to like, you know, hone my craft. But I guess I should make it in my five-year plan or something. You know, I think that's really interesting what you said, because a lot of people don't understand that part about honing your craft. And they just want to write a book and they start writing and they, they don't really know the, the different things. So you're smart to think about honing your craft or, or learning about it. And there's a lot of really good books. I took classes at a, a community college on writing the novel and joined lots of, you know, workshops and, and conferences. So it took a long time, like anything. You can't, you know, expect to be great until you do the, the legwork. Yeah. I don't want to write something just for the sake of it. If I want to write, I want it to be good. I am a bit of perfectionist, you can say, <laughs> in some ways. So, like, I can't put anything out until I think it's good enough. I think that's a good trait, though. I mean, as long as there are people who will just almost be crippled by their first draft or their draft, and they they can't let go to start submitting it to agents because they just continue continually tinker with it. And then there's the opposite side that they don't put enough time into the polishing up of the novel and they just send it out prematurely. So you have to find that balance, but I bet you could. I bet you'd be great. Yeah, I'm a Libra, so I guess balance is not hard. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And I'm a Taurus, and that means I was so stubborn, I just kept sending this (laughs) manuscript out there and getting rejection letters, and I just kept doing it. That's a good trait in this business, I think, because you can get a lot of rejections. Absolutely. And now, coming back to the writing, what inspires your writing? Well, it can be a lot of different things. I've always been a daydreamer, and I guess I just thought everybody did that. But when I see anything, a couple on the street with baby, I I kind of provide a story for them. Like, oh, I bet they are newlyweds, and they've got this new baby, and they're feeling overwhelmed, whatever. I kind of like have little stories, have always been sort of um, a storyteller, I guess. And so it's really wonderful when when an idea really strikes that I think, now there's a good story. That's fabulous when that happens. But not every good idea leads to a full-length book, I've learned. So I've got a lot of partially finished things that like, oh, I thought it was a great idea for a book, but it just doesn't hold enough um, heft to go the whole 300 pages or whatnot. When you hit like a writer's block, how do you work around it? So for the second book, I had a deadline and I I had signed the contract before the book was written, which I don't do anymore because it really sort of messed with my mind. I felt so much pressure and I had breast cancer during that time. I remember thinking, I, you know, I can't do this. I'm never going to be able to write. It just, my agent was fabulous and she was just like, take your time. And I guess I just plowed through in that case. But like right now, I'm, I've been kind of stuck on my next book. I've had a couple of false starts and I've allowed myself to just, okay, take a break, you know, just take a few weeks off or whatever it takes until I don't want to just throw, like you were saying, you don't, I don't want to just throw a book out there to have a, my next book. I want it to be something that people really enjoy. So I'm just trying to, you know, develop that instead of forcing it. If you were to be deserted on an island with only three books, which ones would you take with you? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is hard. Um, three books. I know I'm supposed to say the Bible. 
I actually have not read the Bible like I should, so maybe I'll take the Bible along. Some of my favorite books are, I love John Steinbeck's books. I loved East of Eden. I thought that was a fabulous book. I loved The Kite Runner by, um, I can't remember his last name. Khaled Hosseini. Um, Khaled, yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, that was just an amazing book. I love everything by Maeve Binchy just for her light, fun reading. I just read a fabulous book. I don't know that it would be one of the ones I would take on a deserted island, but have you read The Midnight Library by Matt Haig? Yeah, I, I recently did. I loved it. I loved it too. I loved it so much. I actually also like his nonfiction a lot. I think he I just speaks it. from his experience with depression and anxiety. I'm sure a lot of us can relate to at least parts of it. You know what? I'm going to download some of that because I, I have not read anything except the Midnight Library. So thanks for the recommendation. He recently came out with the Comfort Book. And it's like really tiny chapters. So you can pick uh-huh. it up in a way that chapter will give you some life advice of sorts. I really yeah. like doing it once in a while. That's great. Uh, it's called the Comfort Book. Yeah. Okay. I'll look for that. Thank you. Great recommendation. And for our last question now, if you were to pick one interesting life experience to share, what would you tell today? One interesting life experience. Oh, my goodness. I think it's got to be the life experience of taking this idea of a book to fruition and the whole process of rejection. And, and like you said, you, you know, honing the craft, writing something. I remember I wrote a young adult novel and a screenplay, collected rejection letters. And then I wrote a women's fiction in first person. And my mom really loved it. And she shared it with her friends and they loved it. And I, so I was submitting it to agents. And I had an agent in New York, Dan Lazar, his name was with Writer's House, who asked for the full manuscript. And I was so excited because I just thought Dan Lazar was going to be my dream agent. I send it to him electronically. And eventually, one day, I was getting ready for work, and I see that he replied. He wrote, "Um, I think you are a talent, but your book is just not right for me. It doesn't have enough twists and turns that I like in a novel. And I was crushed, but I was also buoyed by the fact that he thought it had... He even gave me the name of another agent to query that he thought might, might like it. So I gave myself an assignment. I said, I am going to write a book that has twists and turns. And, you know, when it wants to zag, I'm going to make it zig. And it's going to be an exercise, like a homework assignment, just for me. I'll put that book away. And then the one after that is the one that I'll get published. So for the next year, I wrote this novel that every time it was going here, I would purposely make it shift and and all these plot shifts just to just to give myself that exercise of doing what Dan Lazar wanted, a book that was unpredictable. So I finished that, put it away, saved it in my computer. Shortly after that, I found the old life list that I had written when I was about 12 years old. And it made me think of, you know, what would happen if I had had to complete all of these items on my life list started writing a book and it just came so effortlessly. And I was so excited. I had a rough draft done in about three months. So of course, I wanted to query Dan Lazar and let him know that I had a book for him and we were going to sell this book and he was going to be my dream agent. So I write him a query letter, reminding him that he had read something else of mine and that I think this one has more twists and turns that he was looking for. 
the very next day in my inbox, I see the reply and I am so thrilled. I'm like, I, I remember thinking my life is about to change. Dan Lazar is going to look at this book and, and, you know, he's going to sell my, my manuscript. So I open the email and it says, dear author, thank you for your interest in writer's house. Unfortunately, your work, you know, your project is not for us. Best wishes. And it's signed his assistant. I was rushed. I was absolutely crushed. I called my husband. I was sobbing. <laughs> he came home and I was like, I just felt like he was, Dan Lazar, I was hanging all of my hope on this, this agent for some reason. So I'm thinking if he doesn't like it, nobody will. But I am a Taurus, as I mentioned. And so a few days later, I pick myself up and I think this little, this little assistant of Dan Lazar's is standing in my way. You know, he's the one rejecting it. So I, I change the wording of the query letter because they get hundreds a day, send it off again. The very next day, the exact same reply. And now I'm ticked. I'm thinking this pesky little assistant is ruining my life. And Dan Lazar is going to be very upset if he finds out that he's rejecting my manuscript. So I sent a query letter, snail mail, personal and confidential, Daniel Lazar. And about two weeks later, I get the reply in my self-addressed envelope from Dan Lazar saying, no, thank you. Okay, I had to like take a deep breath. And I spent the next year really polishing that novel. He had not read it, but he he had read the query letter. And it was probably premature because I was so excited and so sure that he was going to uh, want to read it. So I spent a, a good portion of that year really polishing the manuscript. I sent it off to a freelance editor named Aaron Brown, who had great suggestions. Anyway, I ended up requerying far and wide, not to Daniel Lazar, though. I, I, I gave up on him after three, <laughs> but by the end of, by about, after about four months of querying, I had three offers of representation. And so I was thrilled and I'm more, I'm just so happy that I ended up with Jenny Bent as my agent. So that's a long winded answer to tell you about a life experience, but I think it shows new writers a few things. Perseverance. And how do you know, you've got to have a thick skin in this business. And sometimes it sounds so cliche when one door closes, another opens. Jenny has been fabulous. I'm sure Dan is fabulous too, but I could not be happier um, with my agent. So. That's a great experience. Thanks for sharing. And yes, it gives kind of hope and also insight into the process for anyone who would want to write the book. Thank you. Yes, I, I really hope to always encourage young writers because I'm just, you know, I'm just an ordinary, I was just a teacher, you know, I'm, I, I'm not someone with an MFA or a law degree. And I think just perseverance and learning the craft, like you said, that's the key. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. And are you working on anything new right now? I am. I just, uh, I like I said, I've had a few false starts but I think I'm, yes, 
I am working on my next project. And if listeners want to buy your books, how can they do that? So my latest is The Star-Crossed Sisters of Tuscany. And the first one was The Life List and the second is Sweet Forgiveness. But they're all available pretty much wherever books are sold. All of them are available if you ask your bookseller. I'm sure they could get them. Or the libraries. Thank you. You know, reading the names of your books like Tuscany, Italian Summer, are you really finding inspiration in your travels? Yes, 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 yes. And by the way, One Italian Summer is the same as the Star-Crossed Sisters of Tuscany. It's really misleading, and I feel terrible about that, but One Italian Summer is the UK version. Oh, really? Yeah, that's confusing. (laughs) It is very confusing, and I've had readers write to me, and they're so um, disappointed because they have ordered the site. They think they're two different books. And I tried to get my – I brought that to the attention of the UK editor and asked if they could make that clearer, but – I don't think they have. It's an and apologize for that. That's also very interesting. Like, why did they change the name? You know, I think that's interesting too. And it's something I didn't know, but I, the books have been published in about 30 some countries. And it's so exciting because every time they'll often send books or I'll see it on social media from other countries, but they retitle them often and a different cover. I never knew that. Covers I've noticed a lot, which I feel like is fine. Okay, maybe that demographic just likes this kind of covers. But like changing the title is like very misleading. (laughs) I agree. I think so too. Except I guess The Life List, my first book, that's something that means something to, you know, people in the US, but not always, I guess, in other countries, that concept. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's called like Brett's List or Tomorrow is Another Day. In France. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, as a reader, it's, it's very confusing. I was also thinking, like, I have the Starcross Sisters of Tuscany, and maybe I should get one Italian somewhere. So I'm so glad yeah, I talked so to you about you it. Didn't. I'm so sorry to any reader who has ordered both. That is, yeah. I think maybe if the Google results were somehow telling people, even then it would be fine that, you know, this is the UK version. <laughs> I know, I know. That's what I want. And I don't have any control over, I can't change the um, Amazon, but but I did, like I said, I did point it out to my UK editor and my agent did too. Maybe I need to tell them again, like it should be right away, the Star Cross Sisters of Tuscany, alert the reader right away. Yeah. I hope the people who listen at least know it. (laughs) Yes. Thanks. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for being my guest today. It was oh, great talking to you. It was so great talking to you, Damon. Thank you so much for inviting me. Listeners, do check out Laurie's book, The Star Cross Sisters of Tuscany. And you can also find her on Instagram if you want to connect. I'll meet you again next week with a new guest. Thank you for listening to our conversation today. Hope you enjoyed getting to know our guest as much as I did. You can also watch a video version of this conversation on 11 Questions YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you are listening. And if you like this episode, please leave a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at 11QuestionsPod for more videos and updates. And I'll be back next week with a new guest. Bye!